Welcome to Core Parenting Conversations with Kaylee. My name is Kaylee Kukwa, and I've spent the last decade supporting children and families with challenging behaviors. As a mom of two, I appreciate how overwhelming and exhausting parenthood can often be. So I'm taking all of my book knowledge and combining it with real life experiences to change the dialogue around parenting. We'll have powerful conversations that always include practical tips so you can walk away feeling inspired and empowered to make simple yet impactful changes in your family's life. Let's dive in. Hello and welcome to another Core Parenting Conversation with Kaylee. And today I am so excited for my guest for this conversation to bring to you all because she is not only a mom of two, parent educator, former foster mom, former seminary student, she also is a really good friend of mine. And we found each other through this parent educator, gentle parenting world. So I'm so excited to have my good friend, Amanda Erickson on the show today. Welcome, Amanda. Thanks for being here. Thank you. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Yeah. Well, I've wanted to have you on for a while. I told you before we started recording and I kind of just waited and I sat on it because I know you and I, our conversations, whether they're personal or public, right? They're always so cup filling, so validating, so recharging. And then they're also chock full of just really great takeaways and practical advice. And I think really real mom talk because we both had two boys that are around (laughs) the same age and, and we're in the trenches with each other. So the topic I decided to bring you on for is a part of the back to basic series. And we're just rethinking discipline because there's this I don't want to say traditional because it's not traditional in all cultures, right? It's this very authoritarian paradigm that most of us were raised with. And you and I work really hard to shift it. Yeah, absolutely. The mainstream understanding of discipline just equates it side by side with punishment and, Mm -hmm. you know, rewards. And we're trying to shift that narrative a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. And I think We can get into some hot water when we start really smushing together discipline and punishment, because if we go into the research, right, we won't spend a lot of time going through research, but if we go through the research, like punishment time and time again is just not seen as an effective, even in the behaviorist model, even when you're training animals, you know, punishment is not seen as a great teaching methodology. And so the fact that so many of these mainstream parenting you know, kind of that are passed down from generation to generation focus so much on this idea of punishment is I think it's really important to shift and understand and then also equip parents with tools. Because if we just take something away without giving them something else, what are we left with? (laughs) Like nothing. Early on. So um, I just wanted to mention, I hope it's okay. You can find me at Flourishing Homes and Families on social media. That's the ministry that my husband and I co-founded, but that was something that really propelled our platform and our reach was I had, um, you know, I had been sharing about our own parenting journey and people were like, okay, you've convinced me not to do this anymore, but what do I do instead? Like you've got to give me something to do instead because your argument is compelling, but I'm left with nothing. 
And so we just started sharing, you know, approaches that were working for our family. And that really propelled our platform because people were like, oh, okay, now I've actually got some tools. (laughs) Yeah, something tangible. And you all do, well, we won't get it. I mean, this is not also maybe another podcast episode as we can talk about spanking. I just, I always assume that people, because of my background and where I come from, which is child development, I mean, spanking is pretty well known as just a non-option. It's a non-starter. But I know in your world, you more in like the church and the Christian world and the theology, it's still pretty entrenched in the culture. But I think you all are really, you present not only some really compelling child development arguments against spanking evidence, I should say, not even arguments in my mind, evidence, but also biblical theology that also says, hey, wait a second. It's not even how we're called to raise our children as Christians either. So really appreciate that messaging. Thank you for that. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway, so if discipline isn't synonymous with punishment, what do you all teach it is? Yeah. So a big reframe that my husband, David, and I really had to make was under, for us, I don't want to go like too heavy on the religious aspect of it. I know that's not your core target audience here, but for my husband and me, we really recognized how discipline and discipleship or the word disciple, they have very similar meanings in that we are taking someone under our leadership, under our guidance, and teaching them and training them and modeling for them how to be in the world um, in a capacity that meets them where they are. You know, we're not trying to get our children to act like short adults, right? But we are teaching them how to live in the world. And, you know, David, he likes to use a a more of a sports analogy when we talk about discipline, that some of the very most disciplined people that we know are professional athletes. We go to church with a former NFL quarterback, and he's an extremely disciplined man. Just talking with him, like we understand discipline has absolute, does not have to have any relationship to punishment at all. Like he is not punishing himself when he, you know, misses a throw. He's practicing and striving to do better next time and figure out what went wrong and how can I perform better next time. And so I think when we separate the inherent understanding of discipline and punishment being the same thing, we really, we can see multiple understandings of what discipline is. It has various meanings and all of them can be applied in raising and nurturing and caring for children. Okay. So I actually use a sports analogy too, and it's a little different than David's. And so, but I just want to highlight David's and highlight mine, because I think this really resonates with a lot of people. I think this helps really help it click. And what I find too, is when I talk about social emotional development, it's social emotional development is not something we can necessarily see right in front of us, right? We know when our child hits a motor milestone because we literally, we see them start crawling. We see them start walking. We see them start running, jumping, right? They're very obvious. So sometimes translating this more social, emotional, cognitive development into something a little more concrete, I think is really helpful for people. And I use, I was a tennis player up through, you know, until high school. I played tennis for like 10 years and I can't imagine a coach just telling me over and over and over and over again, don't hit the ball in the net, don't hit the ball in the net, don't hit the ball in the net, and not giving me anything to change. Hey, you're hitting the ball in the wrong spot. Instead, bring your racket here, open your racket up at this angle, follow through the shot, blah, blah, blah. And then 
that just hearing the words isn't going to help me make the shot, right? It's practicing that swing over and over and over and over again. Yeah. It's that repetition. It's why sports practices happen three, four, five times a week when you get to a certain level, you know? And if you've noticed, like, just because you tell your child one time, they're probably going to do it again. You're probably going to have to tell them more than one time. In fact, I can almost guarantee it. And so when we start thinking of social, emotional, those pathways being very similar to our muscle memory. Yes. Right. Then it starts, I think for parents, it can help kind of take the edge off of it. Yeah. It depersonalizes a little bit. Does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I love, I love that analogy. And it, and it reminds us too, we want our kids to grow stronger in, you know, if we want their yes. social, emotional cognition or their behavior or whatever the, you know, the, whatever the context is, the parent is thinking about what's happening in front of them. Like they're going to have to practice. They have to strengthen that ability and that skill and that, you know, and that muscle memory, like you said. That's great. And yeah, professional athletes, man, are some of just the most disciplined individuals out there I've ever met. That's a great analogy. Um, Okay. So if we're shifting away, if we've established like discipline and what I want to go back to is this idea of us leading our children, right? And this idea of modeling and the word that I've kind of been, I tell me all the time, I'm spinning this around in my head. I've just kind of been sitting on it, meditating on it, thinking about it is influence. Yes. We really have this huge influence in our child's life. Yeah. The biggest, especially in the early years where discipline happens. Yeah. Can I share a story? I have an example. Yeah. Do okay, it. So my oldest, his name is Ezra. He's eight years old. He's, and my kids are in Cub Scouts. And, um, the other day I was at their Cub Scout meeting and one of his friends, actually his best friend from school and scouts, he got his feelings hurt by another child that was there. It was, uh, I don't think the child was intending to hurt feelings. I think he was just kind of, you know, I think he was bored and was just saying stuff and it ended ended up that Ezra's friend took it more personally than, than the friend intended it, but he was deeply hurt by that. And he separated himself from the group and he went and sat in a corner, kind of squished up and he was over there for a little while and his mom was checking on him and, you know, really was really responsive towards him. And finally I talked to Ezra and I was like, Hey, you know, he's your one of your best friends. And I can tell that he's hurting right now. I wonder if it would be an encouragement to him. If you just went over and checked on him, if you just go say, Hey, are you okay? Or do you need a a hug or need a friend or anything? And that is the only guidance I gave Ezra to just go check on his friend. And he walked over there and um, like, I'm so glad that I got to witness this because he did not stand over his friend and be like, Hey dude, what's up? He knelt down on his knees and got at eye level with his friend. And this is something I have never verbalized to him to do. I have never, ever, not one time said, you know, a posture of peace, get down on eye level, but it is what his daddy and I model for him since he was a a little toddler, when there was conflict and then when there were big feelings, we always get low and get right on that same plane with him. And so we have discipled him in that without ever verbalizing or giving a command or teaching him this is the right thing to do. He just intuitively learned that posture from David and me. And then when there was 
you know, heavy stuff going on with his friend at eight years old, he just intuitively went and got down on his level. And yes, I was like bawling when I told David about it later. I was like, it was the sweetest thing to see that because it's not something that we've like driven home and told him you've got to do this and this, it, but he modeled and mirrored the behavior that we have shown in the posture that we've shown him all these years. I was going to say that is so beautiful. And thank you so much for sharing that. And you said he's eight, right? In the beginning of the story. Yep. He's eight. I just want to talk to all the moms with children who are younger than eight or parents who have children who are younger than eight right now. And just assure you that like eight is this developmentally speaking, it's this cognitive shift that happen, an emotional shift that happens. The brain kind of calms down a little bit. Um, we're really exiting early childhood, which is when the brain is just exploding and there's, okay. So I have noticed, and Amanda and I have talked about this because I also have an eight-year-old. I feel like all of what I've poured into my children in the last eight years, or my child, I have an eight and a five-year-old, right? So in my child, the last eight years, I'm seeing more and more and more glimmers of it. Yes. Yep. Right. Do you find, do you see that with your boys too? Cause they're seven and eight now. Yeah, absolutely. The, even just in their conversations, you know, a couple of, yes. a couple of weeks ago, they were, it was a Lego conflict and they, it was, <laughs> of course it was pretty strong. Of course it was, they were using pretty strong voices, but they were like, this is not a solution that works for me. I am not okay with this. I have, have a boundary. It is my Lego set. I got it for my birthday. I have a boundary and your solution doesn't work for me. And I was like, yep, that's what we, that is how we taught them to problem solve it and to be assertive, yeah. you know, and you just kind of hear it coming back out and it never, you know, it never devolved into fighting or screaming or anything. They used very strong voices, but it was, right. you know, it was kind of, I was like, you know what? And I stepped in, I was like, Hey, y'all are doing a great job of problem solving. I hear this communication is very clear. I'm thankful for that. Do you think you need some help or y'all doing okay still? And they were like, we're okay still. And I was like, okay, great. And so I just stepped away, you know, and just kind of empowering them to, to work through that hard moment. But how many years, like this was not, you did it one time or oh, two no. times, right? This no. is literally years literally. of sitting with them in conflict, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, so just a little bit of my background, um, mm-hmm. I had really severe postpartum anxiety that went undiagnosed for a very sad length of time. And yeah. so it presented as anger and mom rage. Mm-hmm. And I was very mm-hmm. physical, even after we had decided to not spank anymore. I would still like when my boys were fighting, I would like step in and like drag one of them off to their room yeah. and kind of, yeah. yeah, yank them around, slam the door. Yep. And I even knew that it wasn't okay, but it was that like that, that, that in postpartum anxiety, that rage was like out of body experiences for me. Yeah. Um, but I remember, I think, I think our youngest was probably two or three. And I was like, I have got to come up with a plan for this because every time this happens, I'm yanking them around. It's not okay. They're going to start yanking each other around because that's what they see is what you do. And so that's been what, four years now that we, I sat down and when they were toddlers, it was probably not even age developmentally appropriate at that time because I sat them down and I was like, this is how we find solutions that work for everyone. What are you feeling? What are you feeling? What happened? You know, what do you think happened? What do you think happened? What do you want to happen? What do you want to happen? You know, and I'm just like, 
everybody say what you need to say and then let's see if we can find a plan that works for everyone. And it was, it was rough at the beginning, you know, trying to find the right language to work with toddlers, but they pretty soon, we kind of leveled it out and we're like, okay, now we know how to teach toddlers about collaborative problem solving. And you can say anything you need to say. You can say that you're mad. You can say that you're frustrated. You can say that, you know, that your feelings are hurt. You can say that you just don't want to play in the same room with him. Like anything that you need to say, as long as we say it in a way that honors other people. Like we can say hard things in honoring ways. And that was a value that was important to our family. And so we just taught them like, hey, try that again with a voice that still honors him. And I also, you know, had to sort of step back and recognize that what I perceived as dishonor, if it wasn't actually landing on their brother, you know, like if they were kind of using much louder voices, but they were practicing the problem solving process, right? Like they were very rudimentary. It's kind of like when a child like first starts riding a bike, they're in a tricycle and their little legs can't even barely push those pedals, right? Like if we yeah. take that, like foot physical development, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that, that physical development into like communication and emotional development, yes. like it was very rough. But I, at the beginning, I tried to control that. Like, no, you need to use a soft voice. You need to use kind voice. And I realized I was putting like a ton of rules and limits that they weren't quite ready for. And the fact that they were trying to collaboratively problem solve and they weren't like, they weren't offended by each other's loud voices. I was like, you know what? I'm going to let them define their relationship. They decide if they're not comfortable with that level of voice right now. So yeah, I mean, it was an evolution and years. Four years. <laughs> yeah. And and I just, too, because you and I, both of our accounts will give parents, you know, certain scripts to try out because I think it's really important too, when you're like deleting certain language from your vocabulary to have a replacement that was really helpful for me in the very beginning before you just kind of intuitively get a feel for it. But if you try one of our scripts or try, you know, what are you feeling? What are you feeling? And it lands flat on your kids. That's not a sign. It's not a sign that this kind of discipline, right? This kind of leadership, this kind of guidance isn't working, quote unquote. Watch your children's cues and then think about, okay, what is a way that they might understand this better? How do they understand other concepts, other tricky concepts in their life now? How, how would I naturally explain it? And like, trust your gut a little bit, trust your intuition a little bit and follow your child's lead because they'll tell you they'll either check out or they'll escalate or (laughs) they'll run away. Like they will let you know if what you're saying isn't landing with them. Right. And that doesn't mean you failed. It means you're getting information. You're getting feedback. Yeah. (laughs) And that feedback is so important for really informing how you're going to try different next time, which is what we're teaching our kids to do. But I also wanted to point out, I don't think we like meant to talk about sibling conflict, you know, in detail. Another (laughs) way, it's a good example because I think it's pretty universal in families that have more than one child that there's going to, conflict is going to arise. The other thing that we did is that I, outside of their conflict, right? So I had the response kind of just on the fly that I was trying to change how I was acting. But outside of their conflict, I would also, while we were playing with their dinosaurs or their stuffies, like I would 
we would role play with those and use those toys to play out as if there's conflict and be like, Hey, what should, um, we played with a lot of rescue bots, <laughs> you know, what should this <laughs> rescue bot do? They're ha- you know, bumblebee do they're having a, they're, you know, they have a problem. What should we do? And then kind of play out a scenario of problem solving and, and letting the kids learn through play. And then also through storytelling every night, I would tell a story um, about a little bear character and his friend or his, or a different friend, if, if the boys had had like major conflict that day, I would tell that story that night and invite them to be like, what do you think little bear's mommy should do? What do you think, you know, Susie squirrel should have done, you know, and invite them to sort of look at the same problem, but it's not personal to them anymore. They get like the bird's eye view of the problem and let them learn through that process of thinking through, Oh, what should happen? What would be a good thing to do? in this situation. So, I mean, discipline has many, many avenues to teach. What should Susie Squirrel do or what could she have done in this situation? So really giving them an opportunity to evaluate the scenario that they lived through, but in, you know, they're, it's in a bird's eye view kind of understanding of what was going on. And it allows them to to think critically and think through the process of what happened. How did this escalate? What could have gone differently? And so there are, I say all of that to say that there are many avenues to disciplining small children, preschoolers, you know, exiting early childhood kids. Like there's many ways to do that. Um, and Find, it's kind of an adventure that you go on as a parent to find out which one is the most effective and the most connective for your child, your individual child. If you've tried the Instagram parenting tips and tricks to gain connection and cooperation with your child and it's still not working, or maybe you just want to grow your parenting toolbox or grow your own personal skill set. If you feel confused about how to respond to some of your child's bigger behavior, or maybe you need the encouragement and accountability to make the changes you know you and your family need, CORE offers the weekly support and tools to make these powerful shifts within a supportive, uplifting community. We talk about real-life parenting, not the neat and clean two-dimensional examples given on social media. You can learn more about my core membership program by heading to www.kayleekukla.com backslash core. It's a month to month membership. You can cancel it at any time, no strings attached, and it's meant to be on demand parenting support. So you can access it when it's needed and when it's convenient for you. The link is in the show notes to learn more. And now back to this core conversation with Kaylee. So two things I want to point, I was like listening to you going, oh my gosh, this is gold for two different threads I want to pull out. Okay. Well, a lot more than that. But number one, this is such a great methodology to use for the more sensitive or more prickly children because anything that is too personal is too vulnerable and they are not willing to go there. Full stop, shut down. I don't want to talk about it, right? Even from a young age, even three-year-old, you know, you'll see them put their heads down, turn away, and they're closed off to the conversation. But if it's Susie Squirrel or um, my kid, I'm actually looking at my child's stuffed koala sitting at the kitchen table. He has Mm -hmm. breakfast with us in the morning. (laughs) You know, if it's, if it's his koala bear who is called koala bear, by the way, um, then all of a sudden it's much more approachable. 
Yeah. Right. And the other point of this too, I think that I just wanted to bring out is this idea of the vulnerability of it and the importance of the relationship and attuning to your child, because without that foundation, I think that's why we talk so much about connection and, and honoring and all of these big ideas, because without that foundation, we lose that influence. We lose that ability to influence the third point, And you can pick any of these and run with them because I think we can run with any of these, right? The third point is that so much discipline, I think most of us think we've got to do it in the moment. Yeah. It needs to happen in the moment or it's not effective. When in reality, oftentimes the hardest discipline moments, right? They cannot happen in the moments. In the moment, in the heat of the moment, it's about bringing safety. It's about, uh, I call it triage. It's this emergency response of just keeping everybody safe, diffusing the situation. And it's the after effect. It's those vulnerable conversations. It's the moments of reflection. It's the smaller teaching moments. That's really when we can pour into our children these ideas, values, and different skills. Yeah. Yeah, I think that last point is really important. And it's something that it was a mindset shift that we really had to work on because so much of how we were parented was like, we're going to fix this problem right now. And yes. And so letting go of that need to like, we're going to address this behavior in this very moment. And, you know, that it's really empowering because it gives the parent time to think about how do I want to respond? What do I want them to do differently next time? What could they say? How could they get help differently next time? You know, so it empowers the parent to come up with a wise, wise counsel for their child, right? Wise and kind and connected leadership for their child. But it also reminds us to keep our child safe in that moment of conflict, like you were saying. And I think, you know, there's two examples that we can think of if, you know, if a, you know, if a a sports team is at this, you know, big, everything's on the line game and (laughs) there's a really awful play that was just completely stupid and, you know, it's going to be replayed on all the networks over and over again as like, what were they thinking? Who called this play? In There's an ESPN highlight reel called something like that. Anyway, yeah, sorry, like, I don't know what it is, but I've watched it before. But in the moment yeah. in that game, it does absolutely nothing for the team to start being like, what were you thinking? Why do you know, like they've got to keep moving forward and come yeah. back and adjust that poor decision later and be like, all right, that play, that was a bad call. And thinking about our brains and safety, you know, if we are you know, if we are witness to a car accident, it does no good to come on the scene and be like, what were you thinking? You should have, you know, you should have yielded. You were supposed you had the yield. He had the right, like, you don't step in and say all of the things that needed to be done different. So that didn't happen. You know, like there is triage, like you said, like we need to make sure everybody is safe. Those who aren't safe, we need to care for them first. And so when we really think about how the brain processes fear and danger, and, and understand that in those moments of dysregulation, there's not a pathway open for them to learn what right. we hope right. they will learn. And so really just pausing that guidance and that correction until later, it empowers in every way to, you know, for them to learn more effectively and for them to practice in, um, you know, in, not, in low or non-pressure environments too. 
And I want to go back to the original example you gave with your son with the posture of peace and him assuming that position that's never been something that you've explicitly taught him, explained to him, required of him, any of those things. But in a time of distress, another friend's distress, he did it. And so I think that, and you've used, you and your husband have used it in times of high conflict with children, big, you know, strong feelings and, and high conflict. We, we use it not, we use it in other moments as well, you know, in, in just connecting right. with them, oh. welcoming them home from school. Yes. But yeah, yeah totally. Getting down, reading them. We, we get down. Yeah. So that is just such a beautiful, cause again, there's this physical element to it, right? You can see it happening. He got low, you get low, that kind of thing. There is such power, and I think I don't want parents to not value the power of our response when we're establishing safety. How does that moment feel? What feeling are we bringing into the situation of conflict or danger or dysregulation to our child? There is so much power in that, and I watch it with my son. So to share, you know, we had a moment where he got injured. He hit his head. He got really hurt. His brother, it was a freak accident, of course. They were playing together. His brother became very upset, and he was scared. My youngest was scared because he saw it happen. My eldest laid so still, so calm, like he is this steady Eddie in conflict. And I've realized over the years, he has absorbed that from my husband and I over and over and over again. And I, you and I share this postpartum mom rage, anxiety, history, like this, there were days where I would have to walk out of the room because I was shaking because the rage was so strong. And like, I was just trying to walk away. So I didn't explode or hurt or, you know, right. And so, and being pregnant again, sometimes those moments are bubbling up where it's just like, I feel, I tell my husband, I'm like, I feel like I'm crawling out of my skin, you know, same language I used. Yes. Yes. That's what it feels like. I can't think of a better analogy, but he, so it's not about doing it perfectly every time or having, it's about, you know, what's the majority, what's about 50%. What are we modeling? How are we responding? How does the response feel? And that in and of itself in the moment is all the discipline they need. Yep. And then the more traditional discipline of pointing out impact, pointing out the consequences, pointing out what could you do differently next time, teaching the skills, talking about the feelings or labeling, like all of that is still very meaningful and effective and even more so outside of the heat of the moment. Yeah. Yeah. And so just for a takeaway for the parents and caregivers that are listening, um, to really think about discipline as teaching them what to do next time, how to do it differently next time, how to show up in conflict or disagreement next time and giving them, you know, and by that, I mean, like give them details, like even with toddlers, you can, you know, I, instead of punishing them for throwing their food on the floor, or saying, all right, you don't get to eat anymore because you put your food on the floor, like give them a no thank you bowl or um, give them a paper plate and they can, you know, if they want to smash whatever they don't like onto the plate, like give them an alternative of what they can do that is going to work for everyone. Um, And then give them opportunities to practice that over and over and over again. So like in this example with a toddler, like if you're playing in a play kitchen, 
include a no thank you bowl in your play kitchen and be like, oh, look, this is for your dolls. When they don't want to eat blueberries, they can smash them on the no thank you bowl, you know, and giving them that, you know, opportunity to build those neural pathways, build that muscle memory of what they're going to do the next time they're presented with the same scenario. So the other thing about discipline too is sometimes it's not just discipline for our children, right? As we grow as parents and our children grow and their development's changing, their needs change, uh, the behaviors definitely change as they grow older. You know, when you go from an infant to a toddler and now all of a sudden your toddler's doing things like throwing things off a high chair. You know, as a parent, there's a learning curve there for us. And I think it's important to engage in self-reflection like, hey, if he has a tendency to throw all his blueberries on the ground, for example, because P.S. they look like little balls, you know, they're round and (laughs) very throwable. Um, The other point would be, well, maybe you don't give him a full serving of blueberries. Maybe you don't give them a whole bowl. You put a few on the plate yeah. Uh, as well. So that for you as a parent, now you're learning, hey, throw, wasting food is a big trigger of mine. My husband and I actually both really hate wasting food just in general. So it took him, like I've got one child who can, man, he eats as much as I do. Sometimes he out eats me at the table, you know, <laughs> and then I have a, I have like, dang, um, there's no more left for me. You ate it all. Okay. Um, And then we have another child who he eats like what I tell my husband all the time, like he eats like a typical toddler preschooler. This is this is typically how they are. And he just eats a lot less. And so after getting frustrated so many times by him not eating enough, quote unquote, I'm putting air quotes for people who can't see it uh, or refusing to even eat at all. Like this is just he was so overwhelmed by what was on the plate. I said, let's try putting less. Put three green beans on the plate instead of a full serving of green beans, chop them up. Like for him, you know, we can put full size green beans on one of our kids plates for him. We chop them up in little pieces Yeah. for whatever reason, it seems much more manageable for him. So just like we're learning how to best discipline quote unquote, and like, and draw attention to our children's actions and their impact, which are the consequences of their actions. Right. We as parents are also learning this as well and making adjustments accordingly. And in so doing, like it's such a circle of life type of thing because in so doing, (laughs) we are teaching our children how to be self-reflective and how to evaluate the impact of their choices. And they're seeing it lived out as normal and that growth, making mistakes is okay because we learn from our mistakes and we, you know, like. They're learning even through that process of our own, they're learning that. We, in teaching, they call it think alouds. We're taught to use think alouds with our students a lot to help them like model the the thought process behind things, whether it's planning an essay or, you know, spelling or math or whatever. And so I use this analogy all the time. And so what I'll do with my kids to bring it up is I'll say something much like your example with the posture of peace. I'll be like, you know what I've noticed? And you and I actually talked about this together because your boys will say it now too. (laughs) Yeah. You know what I've noticed is that um, you really like to, and I wouldn't do this with a toddler, right? It's definitely with my five-year-old. You like, you seem to really enjoy your green beans more chopped up when they're on your plate. So would you like me to chop them for you? Like cut them up, you know, today. And so now I've seen my, my herd, my eight and my five-year-old get in the car. You know what I've noticed today, mommy? And I'm like, do tell (laughs) child, do tell. (laughs) 
Yes. <laughs> they are so funny. They are. All right, Amanda, it's always a joy to talk to you. I love it so much. And I think it's really powerful when we get to share our conversations with other people because this is how we talk with a mic in front of us and without one. So it's just so validating as a mom to have a friend like you going through this crazy journey of motherhood. So thank you for being here and tell people where they can find you, any exciting projects you've got going. You and David are always cooking up something exciting. Um, let's share the resources. Yeah. So you can find us at flourishinghomesandfamilies.com. We are on Instagram at Flourishing Homes and Families. We're on Facebook. We are also on TikTok, but not very often. <laughs> Samesies. Samesies. <laughs> um, so, but I would say probably the best way to connect with us is through Instagram. That's where um, the community sort of lives the most um, interactively for us is on Instagram. And we do have some great projects coming up. Some of them we can't announce quite yet, but they will be announced sometime this year. But we have monthly workshops. We keep them priced very affordably. We want we want everybody that needs help to be able to access real tangible help. For us, half of our workshops are rooted in theology and scripture. My husband is a theology and church history professor. And so he brings that expertise to the table once a month. And then mine is, my workshop is a little more practical um, and, you know, gives tangible tools, much like you would get from Kaylee, probably a lot of the same parenting tools you would find from Kaylee. And yeah, that's what we got going on right now. The other things oh, we can't thank you. yet. <laughs> I know. And um, so you will be back on when those things that shall not be mentioned right now may be mentioned. <laughs> and we will shop them out from the rooftops together. How about that? Thank you. That sounds perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, thanks for being here, Amanda. Appreciate it so much. 